Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. Welcome to Get Good at Presenting the podcast. I am absolutely delighted today to have a good friend and a great speaker on to give you something that probably no one else will do because I guarantee that this young gentleman will be very, very lively and will say some stuff that no one else says and he does stuff that no one else does. So it is with my pleasure to introduce, as is known, Big Ian or Big... Uh, how do you pronounce your second name? Donaghy? Donaghy? Well, exactly. Donah- right. The thing is, it should be Donaghy. But when yeah. the Irish lot came over to the northeast, they didn't want to be too Irish. So they changed uh, it to Donaghy. So I've been a Donaghy all my life. And can I be honest, everyone just uses it, everyone just gets it wrong. So I just get Big Ian. Nobody forgets Big Ian. Nobody <laughs> spells Big Ian. And that'll work yeah. for me. And the website works as well. It's literally bigian.co.uk. So I'm chuffed to have Big Ian. We had a chat on the phone this morning and we looked at our diaries and we thought, why don't we just do a podcast this afternoon? Thought it'd be a bit of crack. And yeah. I haven't done one for a little while. And um sometimes I do some serious stuff on this, and sometimes I just like to hear people's stories, and always get some good tips, of course, about being a speaker and a presenter. Now, according to your website, Big Ian, it says that you do keynote presentations, which I've seen you do a couple of times. You do hosting of events and also training. But there's another side to you. There is a a writer and a musician. Tell us a bit about that, Ian. Um, Well, I, I fell into writing in 1994 with me speaking. I was speaking at a conference the UK Dementia Congress and the guy who was running it was a publisher. And he said, if you can turn what you've just done in the last 40 minutes into a book, I will publish it tomorrow. So they did. So I wrote a little book called Dear Dementia, which is the same size as Mr. Man book. And it's got daft little pictures and illustrations. It takes 35 minutes to read and it made it onto the books on prescription list. A doctor can prescribe you to read this book. If you it's have a member prescription, of yeah. now that is big news. You've got a book on prescription. That's yeah, amazing. it's in every library. And so they recommend you, if you have a family member who's suddenly been diagnosed with dementia, for you to read this book. And there's three hospitals being designed using the illustrations and the wording of these. And wow. it's really simple. And every page is a little letter to dementia. And it says, like on one page, seven words, it just says, Dear Dementia. Nana forgets, so I remember. And that pretty much sums up every family member, you know, every granddaughter, every grandson. And the whole idea was I realised that I had a bit of a sort of, you know, talent for for sound bites and for, you know, for getting, you know, my meaning to words ratio was pretty good. And so I put it (laughs) together and it's in every library. It's been translated into Welsh. Hey get you because i was speaking at a conference at the uh, home cymru conference in wales and they just went we've got a problem with the welsh speaking community how much would we have to pay you to translate that and print that in welsh i went well you've caught me on a good day <laughs> and i went it'll cost you nout i said do us a favor just send us a copy and stick it in every welsh uh, library and they did so i've got it in welsh it's been sold in 24 countries and it's oh. got Hilda Ogden's things from the mur- the muriel that she used to have. But there is another story, and that is Hilda Ogden, Jean Alexander, used to live two doors down from me in my student house in York. Never. Yes, she did. And it that is exciting. Out. 
For those that are internationals, you won't know, but Coronation Street is the longest-running soap opera in the world, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, Hilda Ogden in the 70s and 80s was the number one character, oh, really. Iconic, iconic. But she so was, like, that. really posh, wasn't she? But posh, she was, Jane was really posh, really posh. <laughs> like, unbelievable. And it kind of freaked me out a bit when I when I realised who she was. But, yeah, so, and, and it, can I be honest, it just made my mum so excited. Like, my mum was so excited that I lived two doors down from uh, the other room. Then I wrote a book called The Missing Piece, which is all about how we cope with losing people and how to be a better friend. And this became a play last week in York, which was just beyond words. I can't even put into words how beautiful and important and gorgeous it was. It just, it leapt from page to stage and made me weak, absolutely. So I wrote that. And then during lockdown, when all the ink fell out of my diary and I realised, <laughs> hold on, I'm not Big Ian speaker, Big Ian this and that. I was Big Ian Gardner. Biggie and blooming water. I was, honestly, I'd now to do. Um, my wife told me after writing this book, um, if I was to write another book, um, it would be called uh, Divorce: How to Lose the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You. So the only way I could do it was by writing short stories. The kids said, "Dad, Dad, you're not writing a book, are you? Because Mum will go spare. She'll go bonkers." So and, I, 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 let's just go a little bit deeper on that, Ian. Does that mean that you? Are difficult to live with when you're writing a book. <laughs> well, well, you are if you're writing a book. If you're writing an uplifting book about death, right? And it takes three years. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say so. I would say so. So I, I wrote this, but I wasn't allowed to say it with a book, right? Uh, yeah. The kid said, "Dad, Dad, you just if Mum asks, you're just doing some work in the garden, yeah. You're just doing some work. You're just doing a bit of stuff, yeah. Don't yeah. mention the word book." Right, because seriously, we like holidays and we like living together, and we don't want to be shared and all. <laughs> and, and, and to be honest, the only reason me and Emma are together um, is because neither of us want custody of the children. Uh, so <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. And imagine that! Imagine that courtroom battle. If they said, uh, "Mr. Donaghy, we would like you to have uh, custody of your son and daughter." No, no, thanks, Your Honour. <laughs> she can have them, and then go. No, no, I don't want them. He can have them. So that's that's why we're together. So I wrote this book, Pocket Full of Kindness. You've got one of these. Like, I have indeed. And this is just a book that's I just looked at my past to help me present in my future, really. And I realized I seem to have attracted some really cool people in my life. And do you know what? I just thought people have been really nice to me and it's just lovely. And I put it all together. It took no it took no reading. Uh, no writing whatsoever, and each of the stories lasts a cup of tea long, and it's sold absolutely loads. Loads of companies have bought it for their staff to show them they appreciate because in the front of the book is a thing that says who the book's for and the reason that you're gifting them the book, okay. and it's to show somebody how much they matter. And I think, you know, we need to do a bit more of this. Thank you. Don't, yeah. don't cost much. So you get so just go back on the history there. So you, so you ended up as a writer, but you wrote about dementia. Was that because of personal experience? Did you become an expert in dementia? Or well, no. Well, what happened was I was a teacher for 18 years. Yeah. And I, well, I was a bouncer initially. So I was like 20, 28 stone, 28 stone. Right. I was, I was once 400 pounds and I'm now like 16, 16 stone three. You were once 400 pounds? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. the the word, so the the nickname Big Ian comes from the fact that you were once four hundred pounds. Yeah, twenty. Because you're tall. Because you're tall as well, right? Yeah, but I tell you, I'm not tall enough for four hundred pounds, mate. I'll tell you. 
So, so basically, I had, a, I had like a 60, 62 chest. Uh, wow. There was there was lots of me. I filled the door. Um, and then, and of course, I've got a band, the nine-piece band. And when I was big, I thought, well, I might as well lean into it. So the band's called Huge. So I've got a nine-piece band called Huge that I've had since I was 19 years old. And I'm now not 19. I've had it for 30, 32 years and gigging this weekend, gigging, you know, gigging nice. three times in February, gigging all the time. And it's it's great. So I fell into writing because of the teaching. Um, I did learning disability stuff. I worked for the home office. I taught unteachable students, as they were called. And I, I, I got a lot of valuable stories, a lot of valuable experience. And then I was speaking at a conference about how education had got it wrong and how, do you know what, the kids today are doing the same exams as my dad did in 1952, and they've changed a letter. I went, I don't know, they're still doing the same things, and they're still doing the same things now. Education is all about hammering round pegs into square holes, and we need to think. Like Jimmy Carr said something recently, and I've, I've, I enjoyed Jimmy Carr's book. I, I got a lot of warmth from it. And he said, everyone's trying to get, you know, kids from being a D student at physics to being a C student at physics. Well, do you know what? The world don't need somebody who's not very good at physics. But if you're really good at writing, let's get somebody in focus on that. So why right. don't why don't we just find out what kids are good at and then do that? Because you only need to be good at one thing. I'm only good at one thing, right? I'm not a bad storyteller. Right. And that's right. all I do. That's all I did as a teacher. I would turn stories into maths lessons. I would turn algebra into, hey, I've lost some numbers. Who's going to help us find them? Right. Whereas the teacher wow. next door was doing algebra and that's hard. Whereas Mr. D <laughs> next door, doing, he's lost some numbers. Can you help him find them? Oh, yeah, we'll help you, sir. Right. And so that was the day. So that's all. That's all I kind of do. And you've only got to be good at one thing. And, you know, I'm a chauffeur who tells stories. And makes people feel better. And <laughs> it's the same when when I'm singing with the band and the bits in between the songs, I make people laugh and I make them feel better and I give them a good night. When I'm talking and when I'm giving a keynote, see everybody kind of has me down as a, a funny guy, and I am a funny guy. But the thing that makes me different, I think, I make people cry every day. And right. it's really odd. So let me just clarify. So as a speaker, so you've got lots of speakers listening to this. Um, are you making people cry deliberately? Are you making them cry for a reason? Uh, you know, it, why is that part of what you're doing? I've seen it in action. I've seen it people works. laugh and cry. It, it, it's real. But, but you know, how did, how did you suddenly, you know, the guy who sings a few covers in a band, how did mm. you find out you were making people cry? How, what was that transition? Well, I can be honest. With, when you tell a story, if a story's got something good about it, it's either going to make you laugh, make you cry, or make you think. If, if anyone was to pick their favourite songs, very few people will pick Walking on Sunshine or The Power of Love, Huey Lewis and the News. You tend to go for something with a minor key that actually gets to your heart and matters and hurts you a bit. Um, so because of the lot of the things that I do, things like dementia, I work with older people and people die and all this sort of thing. And the thing is, comedy and tragedy share similar borders and people cry whether they're laughing out loud or whether they're in bits. Yeah. And do you know what? If I want to get a message across and I want to create a change in somebody, I've got to get in the door one way or the other. And one way is I'm going to make them laugh. And if I make them laugh, I'm in there. And if I make them cry, I've got to them. And if yeah. I make them think. So, for instance, this play, we did this play last week, and, oh, it was beautiful. But 
the starting pistol went off when the curtain came down because that was when people started talking to the person next to them and talking about people who they've lost and how people were greater than them and the things that they struggled with. So I see my work as a starting pistol, not a finish line. And and that's it. I want people to leave and not say, oh, that was very good, blah, 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 the end. No, I want them to leave and say, there you go, the start. Yeah. My dad was a vicar. And uh, mm. in York, in fact, you know, probably know that, in uh, Clifton. Really? I, well, I lived in Clifton. I never knew that. Just off Clifton Green, yeah, yeah. So that, that yeah. big church, that big yeah. Saxon church, yeah. That was a long time ago. But my dad was a real, like, preacher, and he really wanted to change people's lives. And I guess the thing that he would probably hate is when they go, nice sermon, vicar. You know, that kind of, like, that shaking hands with two fingers, you know. But he's like, well, no, how has it changed your life, you know? How has what I've said change your life and that that's what you're trying to do isn't it that you're trying to you are the ultimate kind of make a difference the mad mad make a difference kind of guy really aren't you because you want to move people don't you it's funny you should say this at the play last week i was on the door you're bouncing again (laughs) i was on the door yeah no yeah yeah evening lads um but i was on the door making sure everybody was welcomed Okay, I was then inside the auditorium shifting the raffle tickets, right, for the charities that we're doing it for. I was selling the raffle tickets, right? The bloke who wrote the play, shifting the raffle tickets. I then announced who won it, and then as they left, right, I was signing books and shaking everybody's hand. I don't care about this. I was sanitizing myself, whatever. And then just saying, thank you very much. Lovely to see you, right? Because I wanted people to know how appreciated they were at the beginning, in the middle, and throughout. And that's what I wanted to do because I could do that, right? In that theatre, I could do that. And I wanted that, I wanted people to know. And at half time, I needed the people behind the stage. I said, How good are these, lot, eh? Come on, half time report. How good are they? <laughs> and I had a massive big round of applause. I said, Can you hear that back there? That's how good you are. Do us a favor, get some oranges down, yeah? See you in the second half, have a rub down. And there you <laughs> What I did was that was a really serious play, right? About loss. And in the middle, yeah. I just wanted just to remind people, do you know what? We're still here. We've still got 100% survival record, and we're still we're here together. Let's enjoy being together. And that was the idea. And so I kind of like wanted to influence the thing in the bits where the lights weren't on. Wow. So you're all, I think it's fair to say you're a big character, Ian. Not as big as you used to be. You're half the man that you used well, to be, right? <laughs> Twice the man, half the size. Yeah, yeah. But um, a theatre in York is a fairly formal environment, right? And you've gone in there and you've done raffle tickets and then you've called it half time instead of the interval. So you've kind of made that, you've made people feel comfortable, you've made them feel relaxed. I saw you at the uh, Brand Yorkshire Conference, business conference, and all business conferences are pretty, they can be pretty serious, can't they? You know, mm-hmm. there was people in there talking about how to do LinkedIn, people in there how to do a have how to have a sales strategy. You know, there was some pretty serious talks and some that were not particularly exciting because that's business conferences, right? But you came yeah. in there, I think it's fair to say you kind of grabbed them by the throat and people were dead excited to see you. So do you think one of your gifts is to break down the formality of stuff? Yeah. I don't think we like let's not take Take what we do seriously, but let's not take ourselves too seriously. The problem is there's too many people think they're so much. 
right? There's too many, seriously, right? right. I am not joking. LinkedIn, I find fantastic because I'm just one of life's watches. I just like watching things. And honestly, hey, seriously, if you want, if you want to do well on LinkedIn, right? I want to be a smoke and mirrors salesman because I could sell 50% of all my stock smoke, the other half mirrors, and you'd be <laughs> laughing. Honestly, there's some people, there's some people who come on, think that they're the wizard of us and they're a little man behind a curtain. Well, I claim to be nout, so I can't, I can't under deliver because I am a bloke in a phone. And do you know what, Lee? I am just a bloke in a phone, right? That's it. I've got no office. I've got no team. I've got no PA. It's me. So if somebody wants to negotiate a deal with me, can on, you know, we'll negotiate it. And I, I, and they say, how much would it be for that? I went, how much do you think? What's it worth to you? And that's it. And they go, but you're a terrible businessman. I went, yeah, there you go. And then they come, and then they come back again and again and again. I am a dreadful businessman, right? But I'm doing all right. I'm having a lot of fun. I only work yeah. with people who I like, and it's well known I only work with people who I like. I've turned down big money to work with clowns. Okay, right? right. And you know, I once walked out of a meeting for a lot of money, and I said, I don't want to work with you because I don't want to align myself with. You because your values aren't my values. And the way I say it is I need to make sure that everything I think, everything I say, and everything I do overlap perfectly. And that's why I've got credibility. I've had people say, can you endorse this product? Can you do this? We'll give you this much money. And I go, no. If your product's great, I'll tell people it's great. Mm. If it's rubbish, I'll tell them it's rubbish. But I'll do both for now. Because I want that, I want that objectivity in the world of care, which is the big area where I speak. And my my ideas are used all over the world. And do you know what? I've got, I've you know, a lot of people listen to the stuff that I come out with, and they get behind it. Like I've got people like the head of the NMC, Andrea Sutcliffe, loves my work. Um, people at the CQC love me work. People in Australia are using some films that I've made to interview care staff instead of an interview. So they play one of my films, Lost and Found, and they play the first bit and they say, right, play it and say, put that right. And that's their interview. Now, how uh, cool is that? This is quite deep, I guess. We'll come to some presentation tips in a few minutes, but some people might might try to manufacture what you've done. But, you know, you're a six foot two bloke from Geordieland, you know, from the northeast of England. You know, have you manufactured this stuff or do you think it's your passion and and stuff? Because you know, you've obviously had a big influence, but you sound to me like you haven't really tried to do that. No, it's just actually accidentally happened. I had one other film I made with uh, some eight-year-olds, and for a laugh, one day I thought, I wonder if I could... I said, I made a film with my iPhone with some eight-year-olds and some 80-year-olds called I Ain't Got Me Mum. You can find it on YouTube. And for a laugh, it was coming up to Dementia Awareness Week. I got onto a few cinemas. I said, I've got a film. I've made it with some kids. There's a film called Guardians of the Galaxy on from Marvel. You yeah. couldn't use it as a trailer, could you? I don't want any money. Can you tell me a reason why you wouldn't use it as a trailer? And they went, we, we can't tell you a reason. I said, right, can we do it then? And they went, yes. And then went on that, and I was on Look North and everything with these kids, yeah. and we made a film, and it was used as a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy. We did it with a budget of notes. And it was lovely. And it's been used all over the world at conferences, online, you name it. Wow. You know, 
it's very easy to do things now. We've got the technology now to do things. So I just do it. So there's now a deal that's manufactured. All it is is I've got a lot of ideas and I will work my behind off to turn them into stuff. Yeah, I think it's fair to say you've probably downplayed a little bit because you're a hard worker, Ian, right? You know, you don't mess around. You, you know, you're the kind of guy that's going for it. You know, you're either gigging or speaking or whatever. Mm. So you're certainly putting the effort in. I so sometimes did- get told. I sometimes get told off by by a bloke in Leeds who says, "Are you taking it steady? Are you taking it? <laughs> are you making time? Are you taking it steady?" And can I be honest? Sometimes I'm not. So maybe I sometimes need to listen to that uh, that elder elder statesman of speakers oh, in well, Leeds. Well, I'm concerned. I get concerned about people. I want people to be here for the long term. You know, ah, well, that's, that's important stuff, isn't it? Well, that's why I'm what. That's why I do me walking every day. I am now walking about 10 mile a day and yeah. there were normally calls i do a walking office instead of being sat on me lazy behind and it's, it's the most important thing i do every day yeah it's the most important thing i do every day so you found that it makes your mind a bit fresher and oh, is yeah. that rain or shine are you out there in the oh, rain or rain? Shine, yeah oh, God. definitely yeah. yeah yeah i wrap up yeah i mean and i'm in shorts every day shorts every day hey <laughs> only loud wow Never out of them. Never oh, out there of them. we go Never out of them. Yes, we'll walking in shorts can... every day. Wow. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if your body's warm, your legs aren't cold. And I've got, you know, I've got legs that used to carry around 28 stone eight. So believe me, they're strong enough legs. So, yeah. And and I find the walking, I find it, oh, I sleep better. I eat better. I, honestly, it's it's a game changing. This I would right. say to everybody, scrap your office and just walk. Do everything on your phone. You can do your emails on your phone. You can do everything on your phone. Just get out and walk. Every day, and I'll tell you what, game changer, total game changer. <laughs> so let, let me get down to some of the speaking craft things, right? Let me get down. Um, you obviously get people engaged. Yeah, I would say you probably don't do what a normal business type speaker would do. You work in all the different sectors, public, private, voluntary sector. Yep. How do you approach? So someone says to you, Ian, we've got this conference. So call it an NHS conference. We've got an NHS conference coming up. There's 500 people in the audience. You know, let's hope that we get back to that pretty soon. There's 500 people in the audience. You've got an hour. How would you approach that talk? Right. What I would say is, what do you want? What do you want? You write down, you tell me what you want. What are the key messages you want to get to get across? Um, I, I, I often, I used to ask what job do they all do? And I kind of got out of that because I'm not really bothered what position you play so long as you kick in the same way. And I hope that you're all wanting the same things. Yeah. And if you're not wanting all the same things, then we've got a problem because then people are all about, you know, um, fashioning something to who somebody is as opposed to how somebody is. And I'm I'm all about the other. Um, so I would find out exactly what they want. I would think about the tone. But can I be honest? I don't really need to think too much about the tone because if they if they're bringing me in, they know why they're bringing me in. Right, right, okay. So it's really quite nice because people who bring me in don't want me to be someone else. They want me to be me. Yeah. They don't want somebody to turn up with the same old blooming um, memory stick and change two words, right, and then have it so it looks like it's for the care sector, right, or, yeah. you know, change change a slide and make it look like something else. No, it looks like I've made it for them. And... 
I get in there early as well, and I find out from the paper, and I say, well, what's, what are you expecting from this bloke today? Right? You know, and I never give away who I am. And uh, and then they tell us, and then I incorporate that, and I say, so how's things going at the moment? What, what are you struggling with? And then I get that. And it, can I be honest? It's the trick that people used to do was mediums, where they used to go in the pub before and say, Margaret, so why are you here? And say, oh, I'm here because I've lost my mum. What was your mum called? Oh, my mum was called Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy. And I'm getting a D. And I'm getting a D. <laughs> no, Dorothy. And that's exactly the same thing. I am wow. just a, I'm a charlatan medium, only I'm a charlatan next are, to Are you saying that those 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 oh. those mediums in, in working men's clubs were not were not real? <laughs> honestly. I honestly, and it's even easier now because you can see who's bought the tickets and you can just go on Facebook and everything and just say, Oh, I'm getting March the 12th. <laughs> and of course, March the twelfth. There you go on your that's memory. My birthday. On, yeah. That's my birthday. That's my birthday. And what about and what about yeah. Dexter? The what about Dexter? The red setter. How can you possibly know? It's dead easy, and you'll see. It's not that. And <laughs> so I, kind of, I kind of do that, and um, you get talking to people. Um, so you meet you meet people beforehand. You talk to them. You make yeah. those connections, and then because you must have standard stuff that you do, but you. You've got to wrap it up in a different package, right? Because you have yeah. content, don't you? you I, have, have content. I, have, I have content. I have, I have lots of, but I've got lots of different stuff. Right. You know, every, like there's certain people out there that say, "Oh, you can only have one keynote. You can only do that sort of thing." No, I'm, I'm not buying that, right? And, and you know, I don't mind arguing with those people because that's not being a speaker. That's having a talk. And I, I'd rather be a speaker. And people, you know, people bring me in and say, right, like, for instance, I spoke at a suicide prevention thing. I've never done anything like that before. I had a good think about it, all right? I've watched back that talk. I wrote that at five in the morning. I had it all going around in my head. And this is what yeah. happens. When I'm coming up to a talk, I've got it all there. It's like, like, it's like wasps just spinning around. And you think, right, and I trust myself. And it was the same when I was a teacher. All, all my assemblies, my assemblies were were really, I, I had killer assemblies. Like you went anyway. <laughs> and, and seriously, I would think, right, what am I doing today? What am I doing today? And then it would all something would happen. It would always go. And I always used to say to my dad, I said, Dad, why do I leave it? Why do I? Why do I do this? And he went, because you can, and because you know you. And I, another thing, I don't plan out timings, right? but my timings are always bang on and I don't know why, right? But they haven't not been, so I'm not going to change anything. I, I can okay. do, I, I did a, I did a, a six, six hour session on dementia awareness down in um, Beaconsfield in January, uh, where I was actually in the same room and in the same church and in the opposite, the same care home where afterlife was filmed. Oh, so right. I, yeah. So I was in the in the graveyard and in in the church hall where all the things were whatever. On the bench and all that. On the bench. Well, the bench isn't there. They brought the bench. Oh, I see, right. They brought the bench, yeah. Um, because I was looking for the bench as well. Um, but it was it was it was lovely. And even though I had six and a half hours to fill, right? <laughs> I'd I always say, right, what time were we meant to finish? I went, half three. I went, three twenty-nine, take the rest of the day off. You've been mint. Right, and <laughs> and it always happens, and it's just a fluke. I don't know whether it's just something that's just you know. Some people can just skateboard; they can just balance. You know, some people can ski. I can't do any of that. And it's some people can dance, and some people are moving their feet and going one, two, three, four. 
And I don't know, I can maybe, I'm maybe just lucky that way. And it's, it create, came from teaching. You would start a new skill, you say, how long are these lessons? And you'd just go, right, in that case, I'm a 40-minute lesson guy, so I've got my topper, I've got my tailor, I've got the bits in between to make sure all that. I don't know. It's just years and years of teaching, and, yeah, it, yeah. and it works. Because we've talked on the podcast a lot, because I, I my background's in education as well. Mm. I was a youth worker or schools worker, attached to schools. Mm. And, and, I, and I'm quite a stickler for time, and I think it's because in 1994, I all I did was school assemblies, and when the bell went they would leave the hall, right? Mm. They're not going to wait for me because I'm not good enough or famous enough to wait for me. In fact, if the Queen turned up, when the bell went, they still got the lessons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So like, so I was always like definitely a stickler for ending just, and the key for things, if, if the bell went, then you had one line so you could, the, eh, so don't, don't forget, and you had that one line and then boom, they were out of the room. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So well, maybe it's, it's being in schools that makes us good at timing, you know? Well, I, I think it is. Do you want to know what makes me laugh? See, me, me son and my daughter, they get asked by the mates, what does your dad do? <laughs> it's, not, it's not really... Can, can we ask? I, I have to, I was at a How company. old are you kids now? Uh, our Bill's 15. He plays basketball for York Eagles, who I think you'll find are top of the league and a, a machine. Yeah. They're like a pack of wolves. Well, they um, are, mate, because I know I know I was playing with one of the guys last night from York Eagles. So well, I'll tell you what, they're a hell of an outfit. Um, and my daughter's at East 15, she's uh, a drama school just outside of London, and she's uh, 18. And they were asked, So so what's your dad do? Right. And our Annie described it, she went, it does really, really good assemblies. <laughs> well, that's pretty much what he does he kind of does that and so yeah with the films I make and all the other stuff the only reason I go into films you know was because I was using my films in I wanted someone else to tell the story as part of my talks but rather than me tell a story about George I said so I'd go, tell you what don't hear it from me this is George and then George would come on a screen and tell his little bit and it would be really and would have an, another dimension and in that time, I'm watching the audience. And I'm seeing that, see, there's two shows going on. So I always watch the audience and I see the thing. And then I see what's getting to them, see what's making it. And it's a beautiful thing. And then I've also got a bit of time for the next bit. And so I use a lot of film and stuff. And it's it's lovely. So I don't really mm. use slides a lot. I use little yeah. bits of film. And it, it, it adds something very different, a very different dimension to it. And I love it. And it works. It's great. If it's working, fantastic. So when, when people come up to you and they say, I want to be a speaker, a presenter, I want to do something like you do, what's the kind of advice that you normally give them, Ian? Don't do something like I do. Do something like you do. <laughs> yeah, be um, yourself, yeah. Yeah, what's so good about you? Um, you know, what can you bring? What difference can you make? And I would just say, don't tell stories about yourself. You know, you know what I mean? I don't just go on about yourself. Go on about them. I turn up with stories that tell people how great they are because they might not realise it. And that's what I do. I yeah. go there to tell them that they're amazing because I think they might have not noticed. And that's it. And that's what people bring us in for. I, I, I spot the things in people that they can't see in themselves. And then I celebrate it and it feels lovely. And I meet really cool people who don't 
go on about. See, when I was in education, teachers did two things. They said how great they were and how terrible the kids were. Wow. And in care, that's not what happens. They talk all about the people who they care for and they don't realise just how invaluable they are. And that's why it's a joy. And that's why the stories make people cry because I just said, you know what, you need, right? And I, I, I got to do stuff that during the lockdown, and I did this, I did this thing with, on Zoom. I did loads of it. And I said, close your eyes. And I said, imagine I'm your dad. Imagine I'm your dad. And I'm out with me mates. And they say, what does your Susan do? And you say, well, our Susan does dialysis for kids and older people. Yeah. You go and see her three times a week and she knows them inside out and, and she keeps them alive. I said, you think that you do dialysis? You think you do something with a machine and kidneys? I said, you do something that keeps people alive and makes them smile and they're happy to see you and everything. I said, and without you, they're not there. I went, you need to wake up and realise this. And it's all about showing people that. And do you know what? Yes, people get a bit emotional about this because all, all that happens is I just shine a light on them because they're, they're too busy being amazing to get a torch out. So they need me to go, excuse me, can I just check that you're a man? Oh, you appear to be a But a lot of speakers are often there to sell their services. They're often there to sell their book or want to get booked again. So they would really struggle with that. A lot of speakers end up, because I think the worst talks you ever hear, and I've probably talked about some previous episodes, the worst talks you ever hear are the ones that are me, 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 me. And I've Mm. seen two or three pop to mind one in particular pops to mind and it always like makes me shudder because it was the most boring thing in the world just a list of things you know what i mean so uh um yeah it's uh, the way that you flip it around to people i think is really important um yeah my wife's just been on the video there my wife's just knocking on the yeah door. yeah she has yeah she was just thinking <laughs> I'm sure she was looking insane. Goodness me, I wish my I wish my husband looked more like that man from the northeast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> if only I'd have gone for a taller version from a bit further north. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got we've got so much in common, haven't we? Both from we the have, northeast, yes. both, both from the northeast in education, both like yeah. basketball, yes, and both like old school hip hop, and yeah. you know, both, like, both, both being in bands. Yeah, music. so. You're giving us some good stuff here. This is this is a good one. It's going on for a little while, but I, you're the storyteller, Ian. So I need you to give me three or four of your stories because you've got some cracking stories about bouncing, about when you've been in the band. I just, I mean, when my phone rings and it says Big Ian on my phone, I don't usually let it ring through to 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 answer phone. I usually go, I'm answering that because I'll have a bit of crack. You know what I mean? Right. Um, on, tell us your favourite story. Speaking, speaking yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's, right, um, right. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one from when when I was dormant That was that was brutal. Um, well, actually, it was it was it was after the dormant. I was I got asked to to run the very first karaoke night in York. Wow! Right, and it was a Tuesday night, and I landed the best day. I was I was a twenty year old student trained to be a school teacher, and I didn't want to do karaoke. I hated the idea because I liked live music. But I, I, I came up with a deal. I said, right, pay me a minimum of this much a night, but 
I want 10% of your bar. And the biggest bar in York. And at 20, they gave me on a Tuesday night 10% of the bar. I So some nights, and this is 1990, I would leave there with like 400 quid in my pocket. Ridiculous. Yeah. And so anyway, I was doing this. And you used to get all the squaddies in from Fulford, right? Okay. And, and I was this big lad there, and I had the microphone. Everyone was looking at me. I couldn't hide. And it used to get rammed on a Tuesday night. Rammed. And there was this big, ugly lad. God, he was ugly. Right? Like, seriously, always be always be wary of uh, picking a fight with somebody who's really handsome because they've never been hit, or somebody who's really ugly because they've got now to lose. <laughs> and so this guy was like, he was, he was a he was massive. He was about he was certainly about six, seven. And he had all his mates with him. So they were like a pack. And he was giving it the proper wild eyes, right? Proper wild eyes, as if to say, yeah, I want to. And I thought. This ain't gonna. Oh dear! I, I thought this that like there's 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 nine of them, and there's one of me, and there's a couple of doormen on here. I thought this is gonna be a mess, and this guy's giving it proper wild eyes and really like you know who's he think he is and but like, who do I think I was? I was the bloke who was entertaining the room, yeah. Right? Having to sing you know secret lover with some absolute. Nightmare lass who just wanted to do a duet and went, Oh, begin. Can I do a song with you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do, we'll do all these lovely duets. You know, I've had the time of my life. Well, I'm not really. And so <laughs> he's like, And so he's I- islands me- in the stream. Oh, God, don't, <laughs> don't even, don't even go there. Seriously. Anyway, so he's given us these wild eyes. And I'm, I'm genuinely worried. And then I thought, how am I going to do this? And so he's there with his mates and they're all geeing him up. And I looked straight in this guy who was six foot seven, straight in his eyes. And there's his mates all by the side. And I just went. <laughs> At which point, when he saw that I'd mouthed the words, looking straight down his tubes, I love you. He grabbed his beard. Slurped his beard down quick. Come on, lads, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's blooming rubbish in here. And they all shot off. The thing is, he wanted to get his hands on me, right, as a trophy. But I'll tell you what, he wasn't mad keen on thinking that I might have wanted to have a little cuddle with him. And him and his mates had just got into the thing that really frightened him most. And it really did frighten him. And they all shot off. And that is why my face has all these features in the original postcode and not, you know, I don't look like a Picasso. So there you go. So a lot of your work is like improvising, right? You do a lot of preparation. I know that you've talked to me about that, but you also are really good in the moment, aren't you? You absolutely wing it really well. Well, you react- that's an idea that you were, you know, you were in a tough situation and you decided to go and say something that probably other people wouldn't have thought about. So that's proper improvisation, isn't it? That really. Right. Well, if you want, if you want to know another one, this is from when I was working for the home office, right? I was working for the home office and I had these unteachable kids as they were called. And I got them in a room. I said, right. Was this like a special school or a unit or something? It was a unit within a school. They were going to put us the other side of the yard 
facing away from the school and call that inclusion. I went, you're not doing that. I said, right. I want to be in the middle of the quad. I want to be next to the library. I want to have all of my kids, all of their work displayed on those. Do me a favour, take down those things from a school trip from four years ago that's on the biscuity sort of sugar paper. Let's yeah. all that. Let's get the kids' work from that week. And so I used to do displays and everything. And I was told it was my, they were my kids. They're yours, right? I was, they were called a cohort. A cohort, like yes. you call kids a cohort. And I said, right, I got them in. I said, everyone thinks that we're just ticking a box here. They think this is a bin and they think you are fit for the bin. Wow. And I said, I was about to piss them lot off and show them what you're about. I said, I'll put in the work if you will. So we did this thing based around pride, which was P-R-I-D-E. And so we called this, you know, and it was the thing where you had to be prompt. Okay. I'll get in on time. You'll get in on time. If you get in early, you can have tea and biscuits with me on the morning. And we go, oh, well, well we do So all these kids with skill refusers coming in early and saying, I've got kettle on, sir. So they'd be there before me. All right. Right. And that was all about R, which was respect. I'll respect you. You respect me. Okay. You treat me nice. You're going to get a lovely me. Your, your behavior is like a remote control. If you want a horror show, just you push the wrong buttons and I'll be a horror show or I'll be lovely. I was all about improve. Right. D was discuss your problems early. Right. Catch the snowball at the top of the mountain before it destroys the village at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, yeah, and then E was all about enjoy. And we did that, and it was a real sweet thing. So I had a lad, and it all had gone a bit wrong. All had gone a bit wrong. He'd, he'd been away. Um, his mum and dad had split up. It was all a bit wrong. And he came in, and he'd had a weekend of drinking, of drugs, of online pornography and uh, and and online gambling. And he was a mess, and he came into school, and he wanted to, he wanted to fight, and he wanted right. to – go and fight the head teacher and he met with me and i always said that if the kids got in the way wanted to go let him run but this time he was going to go and he was going to he was going to sm- he was going to smack the head and I, I said come in my room come in my room Bonner. and he was f- like he had a vein popping out of his head right right like he was proper <laughs> right he's and um i said I'm going out. I'm going out. I said, you're not going to. And I moved myself in front of the door. His head was against mine and his chest was against mine. Now, he was about 18 stone at the time and rock hard, right? Yeah. Proper hard lad. And I was I know, 20 odd stone. But I was, and I, th- I suddenly thought, my career is going to disappear today. Because <laughs> I thought, this is going to go wrong. I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do. So anyway, and and he was really angry, really angry. And he went, get out of my way. And I went, I can't get out of my way because you're going to do that. I can't get out of the phone. And I don't know. You know, you say in the moment you find someone. Yeah. I looked straight in his eyes. And I went, is it me? Is it me, Bonnie lad? Because if I'm the reason you feel like you feel today, give me all of this now. We'll do this. We'll end up hurt. It'll be a mess. But if I've done this to you, 
I deserve <clears throat> what you want to give me now. So tell me, Bonnie lad, I've known you since you were 12, you're 16 now. The deal was I was going to keep you in school. Is it me? And my heart was going like, I can't even begin to tell you. Okay. And I thought, what do I do with you? I'm going to have a fight here with a 16 year old lad. And it's going to look bad. It's got me, me career in tatters. And he just collapsed on the floor in tears. Wow. And he went, nah, who didn't you? And he just cried and cried and cried. And what I did was I walked across with me back to him. I walked like towards the window as if to pick something up. And all I was doing was holding back the tears because I thought, Christ, man, I could just, I'd just cry. I, I was, I was welling up like I don't want to know. And um, I suddenly thought, oh, and he says, um, I said, I couldn't let you do it, man. I said, it's my job to keep you in school. I couldn't let you do it. And he went, wait, I'm going to get kicked out now because I've squared up to you. And I did the most unprofessional thing I've ever done. <laughs> I got a pen out of my pocket. And I went, yeah. Sometimes you just can't find a pen. And I threw a pen across the room. So I couldn't write a report. So I couldn't get him kicked out of school because I realized it wasn't his fault what he's been through that weekend. His mum and dad had broken up. It was horrendous. He didn't know what to do. He was an only child. He was all over the place. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to keep you in school till the end. So I threw my pen away. <laughs> and I got him home and he avoided the head. And he stayed in school till his last day at school. And I was invited to his wedding. And he gave me grey hair when I was 31. So there you go. So I've I've done so I've had some gritty jobs. Gritty, gritty, gritty jobs. But I've always tried to be fair with the kids. See, I like kids and didn't like teachers. I found teachers quite hard work, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, I did. And and so that was the idea. So I always, I would always fight for the kids and I now fight for all the people and I fight for people who maybe don't have a voice and I just give my voice to somebody else's to give man. And, and it feels lovely. And it means I do loads of stuff that I do voluntarily. And it means the stuff that I get paid for, I get nicely paid for. So I rob from the rich to give to the poor and it's all right. Very good. <laughs> In terms of top tips, right? The bits I get paid for are the bits when I'm not talking. That's when all my magic happens, right? Um, I get paid for being a speaker, but the bits that I really make the impact are the bits where I shut up and I just leave it there. And I let them fill it with their thoughts and their opinions and how it makes them fail. And that is the bit that people bring me in for. Not the talking. Anyone can talk. It's a case of leaving that room for their own thoughts and everything. And 
And I, the thing is, I adore what I do. I've seen loads of speakers who turn up and they go, right, it's like press and play. It's like they've turned up with a tape player and press play, <laughs> right? And, you know, and you just think, really? And you just think, oh, yeah, we saw them do that talk, so-and-so. Yeah. And so what was different about it? Well, the postcode, right? And I just think, you know, I, would, I, I want people to really show that, that it matters. And it does matter because I am leading a life that some consider a myth. I get to meet really cool people, do really cool things. It's just beautiful. And I will never retire. I've got mates who are clambering to retirement. Why would I want to retire? Yeah. I haven't got a proper job, right? And I'm doing what I do for now. Yeah. You know, I make films, I, feel... I write stories, and I, I talk to people who are cool and are lovely people. Why, why, I do that for now. Don't tell anybody, though, because I do quite like him. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I, um, I don't think I believe in retirement. Nah. Because if the shark stops swimming, he, he, he hits the bottom. Yeah. Like, my dad retired at 60, right? And then the next – then everyone found out he was re- retiring and went, Charlie's really, really useful. And he started running all of the football leagues, all of the darts leagues, all the snooker leagues from the from, from the time to the tees. And he, he did everything right until he was 80, till he had, like, a stroke at 80. And then he had to stop. And that's when it all went wrong. It all went wrong when he stopped. And when he was, when he was busy – oh, he was – like, you know, right into his late 70s, he was a young bloke. And like really out there, and everybody would would you know go to him and so, and that's the key. I'm, you know, there are helpers, and those and those are helped, and I'm one of the helpers, and I like helping people, and it feels. It, it says on your website that you're a doer. That's what you say. I am. I get. I well, what as somebody once once wrote <laughs> once wrote on a thing, Big Ian, get done, and I do. I get stuff done, and and. There's enough people talking a good game. There's enough people thinking they've got great ideas. Great ideas are no good in yet. Great ideas, right, are only great when they become things and when they start impacting on other people. And that's what I do. I do every day, and it's what I do, and I absolutely blooming love it. <laughs> so to finish, I found this today. I've been preparing a talk for today, a talk on worry, actually, uh, worry and anxiety that I'm talking about and how we need to, understand it for what it is and everything. And like some, you know, when you're doing research for a talk and you're looking at loads of things and you're reading tons of stuff, like it takes two, three days or more to prepare a 30 minute talk. So I'm at the research, I'm coming into land now with it. And I came across this and then having to speak to you, I think this sums it up really well. Socrates said, I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only make them think. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. See, when, when I was in the home office, the whole idea was, they said, can you make the kids behave? I went, no. I can make them want to behave. I can make them interested enough that they just think, well, to be honest, I'm not going to misbehave because I'm too busy doing something that's quite interesting and quite cool that that blog's put loads of effort in. And that's 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 the thinking. So I think, you, I think you bang on. And as for worry, people think, you know, that we're confident people because we talk, but effortless takes loads of effort. And I certainly, anything I ever do publicly, I play it over again and again and again. I don't do this rehearsing stuff. I don't do it. I, I, to be honest, all of you, all of you top uh, PSA type speakers will probably hate everything I say, and that's fair enough with that. <laughs> but, 
Well, I don't care. And you know I don't care as well about that. Um, I just do what works for me. Um, so I don't do the rehearsal thing. But what I do is when I, when I lie in bed on a night or I'm in the car or when I'm out walking, I see it. I play it out. I yeah. play it out. And then I change things. And then I play it out again. I change things. I think, right, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? How could I make that better? And it's quite a nice way because it means nobody's got to listen to you. Because it's just playing in my own little theatre. Yeah, and, yeah. And it works really well. So as with things with Night to Remember, as with me talks, as with me plays, as with all this sort of thing, I've already watched it by the time it's on. So by the time it's on, I hope it's pretty damn good because I'm almost sick of it, you know, and, that, and that's what works. But I have to say this, though. At the end of this little podcast, I'll say this. Your book, Get Good Presenting, is mint. I think it's a really, really, really good book. It's a reminder to people who know, think they know what they're on about, and it's a really good first place to go for people who don't know what they're on about. I think it's really easy to read. I think it's uh, get your highlighter pen out, and I think it's you sit down and you read it in one go, and I think it's very easy to digest, but I think it's great. Another thing, Lee, I think you're really, really generous with other speakers. And I think you're not me, me, me. I think you, you, you. And it's really cool for me and for other guys to be able to just pick up the phone and say, like, Lee, I don't get this bit. I don't get this technology because I don't, I've not used it before. <laughs> I don't do this. Either. Right. Can I be honest? I'm winging it. But having guys like yourself, it really is a real nice thing. And I think the speaking world could do with a few more Lee Jacksons and a few less insert name here and that's what i think so there you go and i don't care if i'm being controversial because it's true because the thing is you back it up you don't just talk the talk you walk the walk Bonilla. thank well, you just to clarify for the listeners i didn't pay him to say that and i'm a little bit embarrassed uh but very kind of you and i'll go and have a little sob now so thank you very much ian it is fantastic to hear from you uh, biggie and tell people where you can get hold of your information um, if you go to my website, bigian.co.uk, I've got three books for sale on there just because my children need shoes. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, which is where I pretty much uh, reside, Big Ian Donaghy, D-O-N-A-G-H-Y. But if you type in Big Ian, you'll just get me. And uh, as I say, uh, you'll, and my band, my band are called Huge. Uh, that I started when I was 19 and we play theatres and stuff. So if you go to hugepartyband.co.uk, we're now to look at what we sound all right. And Justin Timberlake's got up and sang with us, so we can't be that bad. So there you go. Wow. As there you, you go. do. And Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon as well. Man. Jimmy Fallon got up and I tell you what, once he got up, he couldn't get down. We had him up for about six numbers, honestly. He's, he's, he's not just, shy, is he, that lad? Oh, my Lord. And I tell you what, he's a talent. He is an absolute talent, is that lad? So yeah, he was. He was. He was. We played a a chateau in Toulouse. Um, with uh, we did a do for um, what do you call it? Cameron Diaz. It was a best friend's wedding, and we got booked as the band. How cool is that? It don't happen every weekend. Yeah, I was going to say you've done some working weekend. men's clubs in the north. No, we're playing. Like we're playing. We're playing Bishop Thelby Social Club for a fiftieth this weekend, and I don't think Drew Barrymore's at that one. No, no, but that's no. very good. Very good. It's a pleasure, Big Ian. I'll, I will chat to you again soon. Uh, listeners can find you on bigian.co.uk. And thank you for your time and for your good stories and advice, mate. All the best. Thank you. Top man. Bless you. 
Thanks for listening to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host, Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz.